In his book, 30 Years That Changed the World, author Michael Green contends that between the years A.D. 33 and A.D. 64, Christianity acquired the momentum to become the largest faith in the world. Three critical decades, crucial decades. What started with 12 apostles and just over 100 disciples eventually grew such that Christians were blamed for the burning of Rome in A.D. 64. Just three decades, that's all it took. The faith once and for all delivered has changed the lives of hundreds of millions of people. The faith once and for all delivered has reached into every crevice of the globe with over 2.1 billion reputed followers of Jesus. Christianity has impacted every area of life, uh, culture, commerce, education, medicine, family, freedom. And the seedbed of this growth was in these 30 critical years A.D. 33 to A.D. 64. Social scientists are still scratching their heads at how this came to be. Well, the Bible has its own explanation. Today is Pentecost Sunday. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of Christ empowered and equipped the followers of Christ on mission for Christ. Sent by Jesus, our global mission is to share his life, his word, and his love. And so Pentecost declares that my life has purpose. My life has direction. After Pentecost, as far as the early church is concerned, there's never anyone really asking, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. After Pentecost, the church knows Life becomes missional. We are to represent Christ. We are to share the love of Christ. We are to speak the truth of Christ. We are to shine the light of Christ. Christ is first and foremost. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to meet me in the New Testament book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 records this miraculous experience called Pentecost. And before I even read the text, let me front load the big idea for us. Here it is. The point of Pentecost. The point of Pentecost is Christ's presence with us, Christ's power through us as his witnesses to a lost world. That's the point of Pentecost. Christ's presence with us, Christ's Power through us as his witnesses to a lost world. Hear me as I read Acts 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews 
Devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and uh, proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking. They said, ah, They're filled with new wine. This is God's word. So did you sense the big idea here in the verses that I read? Pentecost, Christ's presence with us, Christ's power through us as his witnesses to a lost world. Yeah. Now, as we think about these verses here this morning... I want us to answer three questions. And the first question is simply this. What happened on the day of Pentecost? What happened? And the second question is the question of verse 12. What does it mean? What does this mean? And then the third question is the question of verse 37, which we'll get to at the end of this passage. What do we do about it? All right. What is it? What does it mean? And what are we supposed to do about it? Those are the three key questions that I want to consider here this morning. But before I get to the first question, let me just talk about the significance of this entire passage of Scripture as it pertains to us. You know, right here, right now, someone may be thinking, you know, I just, I really wish that Jesus could just be physically present with me uh, throughout my day. It was just my, I mean, physically present right next to me uh, and uh, my faith would be stronger and would be richer and and oh if only if only uh, have you ever thought that I, I've thought that um, and then I read John's gospel where Jesus himself said in John fourteen twelve, truly truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do Now think about that for just a minute. Whoever, what does that mean? It means whoever. (laughs) Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And, And then let's keep reading. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Do you want to do greater works than our king? And then John 16, 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. <laughs> Let's sit, sit in that for just a moment. It's to your advantage. Do you want an advantage in your spiritual life today? 
I tell you the truth, it's your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. So church family, Pentecost is the fulfillment of that promise. Pentecost is why the spirit inside me is by far better than the Jesus beside me. Christ's presence with us. And Christ's power through us so that we can be witnesses to a lost world. That's, and it's to our advantage. Everything that we're going to learn here today is about the advantage that we have because of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. So let's get to that first question. What exactly happened on Pentecost Chapter 2, verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, what's Pentecost in the first place? Well, Pentecost, penta means 50, 50th, 50th day. So, seven weeks after Israel's most important feast, the Passover, seven weeks, seven days per week, seven times seven, 49, penta, 50th day. Seven weeks after Israel's most important feast, God commanded his people to celebrate the Feast of Harvest. You can read about that in Exodus 23, 16. Exodus 23, 16. On the Feast of Harvest, Israel brought the first portions of harvest as an offering to the Lord. So we need to be reminded that their time of harvest was in a different part of the calendar year than our time of harvest. Okay, So their time of harvest is our time of planting, you see. And Israel brought the first portions of the harvest to the Lord... They brought the first fruits to God, trusting that God would generously provide more. So Pentecost means there's always more to come. There's always more to come. And so by Jesus' day, Pentecost also remembered the time when God gave Moses the law at Mount Sinai. Exodus 20 says that thunder and fire and lightning... uh, uh, existed on Sinai. Sinai was a smoking spectacle. And Moses ascended the mountain and the word of God in the Ten Commandments and the law were brought down, descended. At Sinai, God introduced himself to Israel. Here is who I am. Here is who you are. And here is the way of life that I have created for you. So now that I have rescued you, God said to Israel, here is the way of life that I have for you. Here is what a rescued life looks like. So note the sequence. Identity comes before activity. Here's who you are, God says. And now here is how I want you to live based on who you are. So Pentecost was both an agricultural harvest, holy day, there's more to come, and it was also an historical holy day. Here is God's new way of life for those whom he has rescued. So you see the significance and the theme of 
Pentecost as it relates to Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, they were all together in one place. How important that is. Because both of us know that the Holy Spirit uh, could have come upon each of the believers individually in their prayer closets, right? And yet the scripture says that they were gathered. We need to hear that after this season of being separated for so long. They were all together in one place. There's significance in our gathering, in our, in our corporate presence together as God's people. They were together in one place. And why? Because Jesus, the crucified, dead, buried, resurrected Jesus... The Jesus who was seen alive and in person to individuals and couples and groups and audiences. This same Jesus who after 40 days was observed to ascend and step into the heavenly realm. This Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49 says, Behold, I am sending the promise of of my father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high so there they are waiting in the city praying in the city staying put in the city i think that would be difficult for action oriented americans don't you I would find that difficult. It's like, come on, we've got momentum building here. And now we have to wait? What? Come on. Let's get this thing done. Let's get this thing done. Waiting. Waiting. Wait, waiting feels like we're falling behind. Some of you right here right now are in a season of waiting, aren't you? And you feel like you're falling behind. Waiting for test results, waiting for a job offer, waiting for an acceptance letter, waiting for a family member to come home, waiting for a family member who is at home to come home to God. You're waiting, and you want to try to do something. Oh, how hard it is to wait. Here's the deal. My impatience never hurries God. Amen. Does yours? Yeah. Our impatience never hurries God. Uh, John Milton was a poet. Um, he wrote a poem titled Sonnet 19. It doesn't really sound very, you know, marketable. That's what it was called. Sonnet 19. And it's subtitled, When I Consider How My Light is Spent. And it's about waiting. It, it, the, the, the poem was about how he felt when he was going blind. Imagine writing a poem, you're going blind. The poem asks questions like, well, how am I going to serve God? 
I'm not going to be able to do anything productive. I'm not going to be able to do anything. And then, then Milton realizes that God is this all-sufficient king who needs nothing. And we can still serve God with or without sight. We can still serve God by working or waiting. And then the sonnet concludes with these beautiful words. Here it is. They also serve who only stand and wait. They also serve. They also serve who only stand and wait. Right now, it may be God's will for you to wait, to stay in the city, to pray. Can you do that? Can you do that? Well, that's what the disciples did. And Jesus didn't say how long they were to wait. So they're just waiting and staying and praying. And they're, they're together. Uh, but while they were together on Pentecost, while hope filled their expectant hearts, Luke says, he uses his beautiful word, suddenly, suddenly, which is a word that is to be expected from the sovereign spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is no bellhop. He doesn't just come when I want him to come. He comes when he's ready. Suddenly, while they were together, Luke says the sound of a fierce and fearful wind invaded their presence. Now, I lived in the part of the country uh, that was called Tornado Alley. That's Oklahoma. So I know a little bit of something about a fierce sound. It sounds like a freight train. That's what tornadoes sound like. Freight trains. And this sound of a fierce, fearful wind invaded their presence. A, a spectacular, unmistakable presence of God flooded their lives and the lives of 120 believers, men and women. Uh, one scholar, James Dunn, says it was Christianity's first outbreak of inspired mass ecstasy. Verses 3 and 4. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And verses 6 and 8 tell us that they were languages. Each was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 8 speaks of an indigenous language. And verses 9 through 11 identify no less than 15 of these languages. You see, the miracle was that the, these believers had not studied these languages. And they hailed from Galilee. So onlookers saw this company of bold and fearless followers of Christ, later described as uneducated commoners. One author said it would be something like hearing the cast of Duck Dynasty suddenly breaking out into flawless French and Mandarin. <laughs> they were bewildered. Bewildered. As these were speaking of, verse 11, the mega works of God. The mega works of God. And what else could that be? But God's initiating plan to rescue the world by sending his son in the flesh to teach, to work miracles, 
to die as a victim of injustice, to be crucified as the substitution for your sins and mine, and then follows his glorious bodily resurrection. Think about it. Just as Moses first met God in the burning bush, and just as Moses had descended from the fiery, stormy Sinai, holding those stone tablets etched with the law to equip Israel for life in the land of promise, now Jesus, from on high, drenches his people with his Holy Spirit, who has descended to etch the law of Christ, which is love, Love God, love others, the law of Christ on their hearts. Don't you see, at Pentecost, every believer became a burning bush. No wonder, no wonder the crowds were amazed and perplexed in verse 12. Saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? In verse 13, some said, it means they're hammered. That's what it means. Look. Others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. So listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, don't expect everybody to stand up and cheer. You can expect, you can expect the responses that this text offers bewilderment, amazement, response, you can also expect mocking, sneering. You can expect that. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What does this mean? Well, I want us to see three truths that help us explain the meaning of Pentecost And the first truth is this. The Holy Spirit's coming means that Christ is for all. Christ is for all. In explaining to the crowd, in interpreting Pentecost to that first audience, the apostle Peter cites the prophet Joel. Joel says in verse 17, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then verse 21 says, you know, and it will come to pass. So when God's spirit is poured out, that empowers a response. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So at Pentecost, the miracle of speaking unlearned languages was gospel proclamation to all and for all because God wants all to be saved. So an author by the name of Laman Sane, Laman Sane has written a very good book titled Translating the Message, The Missionary Impact on Culture. And Laman Sane writes about the miracle of languages in Acts chapter 2. And he says this, The first time the gospel message was preached, it occurred in all languages at the same time. Is that not beautiful or what? In other words, God accepts all cultures in his kingdom. So the gospel is not just a Hebrew thing. The gospel is an every tribe on earth thing. 
In Christ, there are no chosen people, no privileged race or class, no one community whose fortunes are more important than those of another. All persons and all people are involved in the working out of God's purpose. God does not absolutize any culture because God is not guilty of divine partisanship. Now, let me say this as respectfully as I can. Islam does not share this point of view because Islam teaches that their sacred text, the Quran, is inspired of Allah only in Arabic language. And that's partly because Muslims do not believe the Quran can truly be translated out of Arabic. And so if you want to hear the actual words of Allah, you must learn Arabic. And thus Islam Arabizes whatever people embrace it. For Christianity, though, the Bible is the inspired word of God in Hebrew, in Greek, in Spanish, in English, in French, in Mandarin, in Swahili, in Kinyarwanda, in Tagalog, in American Sign Language. And why? Peter tells us in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Again, Lamansane says, at Pentecost, cultural favoritism lost its moral rationale. So no one culture is the exclusive standard of God's redemptive power. And and. We who have had the privilege of going on missions trips on behalf of Christ and his church family at Windsor Road, we've experienced this truth. We have. I've experienced spirit-empowered love with my brothers and sisters in Christ from Nepal, from Ukraine, from Thailand, from Haiti, from the Dominican Republic, from Peru. In Southeast Asia... The phrase namaste is the traditional greeting between people. But between Christians, the traditional greeting is jamesy. Jamesy. The Jesus in me greets the Jesus in you. Isn't that beautiful? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit who proclaims that Christ is for the nations. That's the first truth. The second truth, the second meaning is this. The Holy Spirit's coming means that we receive holy boldness. Holy boldness. Question, where was all of this taking place? Look at verse 2. It says that the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. So so it started in a house where they all were. And it, it, it just sort of spilled out into the streets. You know, Luke is collapsing uh, this event. Who knows how long it took, but it took long enough that whatever was going on in the upper room of a house spilled out into the streets. So this was not at the temple. 
So the nature of the temple is changing. The meeting place with God is Jesus Christ, whose spirit indwells his people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a living temple. At one time, these disciples were shaking and cowering behind locked doors out of fear for their lives. But on Pentecost, they unlocked their doors. And they left that house and they went down. They went from the most private place to the most public places they could find. And there they preached Jesus. These, these cringing cowards. I mean, Peter was the one who preached this first gospel message. And as he's proclaiming Christ fiercely, you know, there was this the same Peter who denied Christ a couple of months earlier? <laughs> no, it's not the same Peter. The transformed spirit empowered Peter. And cringing cowards became fearless preachers. And this was permanent. Permanent. Later on, we read about how the believers made all sorts of mistakes. So they were far from perfect. But never again did they ever hide out of fear of persecution. Ever. The spirit changed that. We must obey God rather than men. That's what the apostle said later in Acts. From now on, they were fearless, spirit-filled proclaimers of the gospel. Don't you see for us, the experience of the Spirit's filling in our lives pushes us out. Because you see, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it's for us. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very end of the earth. So if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit has come upon us to empower his mission for us. We are filled with the Spirit, both individually in Christ and corporately as a congregation. To be a witness for Christ. Jesus' words are his promise for us. Wherever we are. Wherever we are. Where we go out into our respective spheres of influence. To be an ambassador for Christ. I'm thinking of a Paul Borthwick who is in missions and he wrote a book called The Great Commission, Great Compassion. And he talked about running into a young man from his church uh, named Peter. Peter was working the counter at McDonald's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Borthwick went in just to get some coffee. And he was surprised to see Peter. He said, Peter, what are you doing here? And the reason why he was surprised was because Peter had just graduated from Harvard with a master's degree. So he just seemed a little overqualified, according to Paul Borthwick. And Peter explained, well, I, I, you know, I did just graduate in May, but I'm, I've gone some months without finding a job. So I said to myself, I need some income to pay some bills. So this is where I've ended up, at least for now. And, and, and Paul Borthwick said, well, I'm so sorry. I, I know this must be hard. Um, uh, Peter interrupted. And he said, no, don't be sorry. God, God has me here. 
God has me here. This place is giving me some awesome opportunities to share my faith. He said, for instance, I'm on shift with a Buddhist from Sri Lanka, a Muslim from Lebanon, a Hindu from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my coworkers while asking, would you like fries with that? (laughs) So don't you see in Christ, I believe this, in Christ, the fast food cashier has as sacred a ministry post as the preacher behind the pulpit. And that's because of the Holy Spirit. Now, where has God put you? And does you, do, you have, do, you have a, do you have a missional mindset to help you realize your potential there and the opportunities there? Do you realize that you may be the only connection to Christ in someone else's life? Do you realize that? Do you realize you may be the only pastor to someone in your sphere of influence? And so whatever impression of Jesus that they have is through you, see? See, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we... We are ambassadors for Christ. Not not the apostles are ambassadors for Christ. Not ordained clergy, they're ambassadors. No, we, the church community, brothers and sisters, filled with the Holy Spirit, united in Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. So, so when the Holy Spirit comes, we get pushed out with holy boldness. Hmm. Well, let me go on to meaning number three. When the Holy Spirit comes, Christ is magnified. The Holy Spirit's coming always magnifies Jesus Christ. If, if you've ever driven into Washington, D.C. at night, you've seen that magnificent splendor of the Washington Monument, that, like that shining ivory needle against the night sky. And You may not have given much thought about those expensive, brilliant lights, and that's because they're meant to illuminate something else. And if they're doing their job... You're not thinking about them. You're thinking about the monument. And so it is with the Holy Spirit and Christ. When the Holy Spirit speaks through someone, you tend to forget about the person who is speaking. You don't really even think about the Holy Spirit. You find yourself seeing Jesus, tasting Jesus, loving Jesus. Peter said in Acts 2, Verse 14 and 15, we're not hammered. No one's drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine in the morning. What's happening here is the fulfillment of God's promise through the prophet Joel. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by signs and wonders, He was the long-awaited Messiah of God. Israel's hope. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Oh, come. Emmanuel. And he was sent to rescue us from a power greater than Rome. 
sent to seek and save the lost, those lost in sin, lost in rebellion, lost in separation from God and one another, lost in idolatry, lost. He came and proclaimed peace. And Peter said, but you put him on a cross. You did. You crucified him. But God raised him. We witnessed this. So let me tell you this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified and whom he raised, both Lord and Christ. That's what Peter said. The king has been raised. Surrender. That's his message. And I mean, look at verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They, it, was, it was like they finally realized, what have I done? What, what have I done? What have we done? And then they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what, what do we do? That's the third question here, right? What shall we do? What is this Pentecost? What does it mean? And what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, Respond by faith. And let that faith be something that starts from the inside of your heart and your affections and let it work itself out to your, to your body. Internally. Repent, Peter said. Repentance means to change your mind. Change your heart. Change your attitude. Change your way of thinking. Change your mindset. To repent means to turn away from this and turn to that. Turn away from this. Turn away from the life that you live. Turn away from the dependencies. Turn away from sight and turn to faith. Turn to Christ Turn to trusting him. Turn away from arrogance and turn to humility. Turn away from I can do it, I can do it. To turn to Christ and say, God, I can't do it. I cannot do it, but I know that you can. To turn away from this and turn to him. That's what it means to repent. And then Peter said, be baptized. That's, that's external. That's the outer external act which signifies and demonstrates what only God can do. So baptism showcases not my work, not my effort, not my muscle. Baptism stresses God's power to raise my corpse back to life. And only he can do that because he has the promise, God's promises of life in Christ reach a global audience. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Oh, church, there is no pit so deep that Christ is deeper still. Do you believe that? And then verse 40, with many other words, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. 
saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. How many times do I have to say it? That salvation will never come from education. Salvation will never come from wealth. Salvation will never come from power or politics. But salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no one, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you know what happened when Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke that otherworldly truth to that audience. What first started in just a private upper room spilled out into the public place and Peter preached. And 3,000 people entered the kingdom of heaven that day. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day 3,000 souls. 3,000 were forgiven. 3,000 were given the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost, meaning first fruits. And there's more to come. Like Moses of old, God rescues us and then fills us with his Spirit to teach us a new way of life. Oh, there's more to come. Church family, we are the more to come. We are the more to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, lives change. Can you imagine imagine a world where bitter enemies can be be close friends? Imagine that world. Have you seen this program called The Chosen? Have you been watching about the life of Christ and the interaction with the apostles? From the episodes that Sarah and I have seen together... Those apostles, they didn't really care much for one another. You know? And yet, Jesus brought them together. He brought them together. Can you imagine a world where bitter enemies can become close friends? Can you imagine a world where ethnically diverse, racist, brutal, unjust, fearful, oppressive humanity can be family and friends with one another As a heavenly community on earth. We are the embassy of heaven. The spirit-filled embassy of heaven. Can you imagine a world where families are at peace. And neighborhoods are at peace. And streets and cities are at peace. Can you imagine that world? Who, Who has the power? Who has the power to work that kind of, of world? Jesus does. That's right. Jesus does, and only Jesus, only Jesus. Do you know him? Do you? He's calling you right now. He's calling you to come to him. He's the king. And I'll be so bold as to say he's not just inviting you, he is subpoenaing you to come to him and bow before him And humble yourself and leave this and turn to him. Because only he can rescue. Only he can rescue. And if you've understood what I've had to say today, you've heard the gospel, the gospel news that Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised, Christ appeared. 
Christ is king. He wants you. He's calling you. Will you repent? Will you? I'm, I'm begging you, if you haven't, please make it today. Make, and then show outwardly, just as those 3,000 did, the internal repentance in baptism. We're ready to go right here. Amen. We had uh, two baptisms, first service. Uh, one baptism, we had... Uh, 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 shared Christ with this dear soul a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, we let we decided well, let's be baptized on Pentecost, and so and so we did, and it was beautiful. And I just stayed in the water, and I just before everybody let out, I said, "Listen, today's the day. Today's the day." And, and, and I waited. I, w- I wasn't very obedient to the Lord because I should have waited longer. I finally then went back into the dressing room. And then someone said, Pastor Randy, someone's come. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. I'll be right out, okay? <laughs> uh, and so we baptized, we baptized Gabriella. And then we baptized Kaylee. And... Uh, the promise is for you and for all. And I want to invite you. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a couple of songs. Let's have the band come up, Rachel. And uh, if, you, if you want Jesus as your king, uh, we're going we're gonna to have an altar call. And uh, I want you to come. And you just come over here in this area right here. And uh, uh, Sarah will uh, be over there to greet you. And Carl, one of our elders, and, and uh, will will come. And and uh, and you know what? If no, if nobody comes, I'm I'm not. It, we're not. <laughs> you know, there's not a quota here that we're looking for. What we're looking for is repentance, turning to Christ in baptism. But we want to give you that opportunity. We want to give you that opportunity. And so you do some business with God right now during these songs. And if you want to be baptized, and if 50 people come up, we'll, we'll figure it out. Amen. <laughs> we'll, you, we've, we don't have 50 shorts and shirts in there, but, we'll, but, but water can dry. Okay? So, but anyway, you come. We come. Don't, today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing.